Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of the Potter's House in Virginia Beach. church with a worldwide vision for winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. We're a Pentecostal church affiliated with the Christian Fellowship Ministries. We hope you enjoy today's sermon. Of this service tonight, we're so grateful for the power of the Holy Spirit this evening. Uh, We are very excited to continue tonight. Uh, Maybe you are very excited to finally be getting done with this study of the book of Revelation. Uh, We are going to be wrapping it up uh, between tonight and uh, next week. And so I want to encourage you tonight, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation and uh, chapter 20 tonight. Chapter 20, we're getting down to the good stuff. So Revelation chapter 20, we've got uh, two microphones And again, tonight, I want to encourage you, uh, if you have questions or comments along the way, uh, please feel free to lift up your hand and present those to us. We'd be happy to address any any comments that you may have. Uh, I lost all of my ushers tonight. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you could just hand this to Dave when he gets back in the room. Thank you very much. So Revelation chapter 20, as we continue to look into this incredible and amazing book of Revelation. So let's just get a little bit of review and context as we are coming into this chapter. Can somebody, uh, can somebody uh, give me the short version of what has happened in chapter 19 and what we went over last week for the sake of those who were not here? Can somebody explain to me what... Thank you, Bullet. Thank you very much. Uh, what has happened in the book of Revelation chapter 19 and what is uh, what we are going into. Can anybody remember from one week ago? It was only seven days. Yes, Marquita. I believe it's the wrath of uh, um, basically God putting his wrath on people and um, him coming back. Yeah, well, uh, between chapters 16, 17, and 18, certainly we saw a lot of God's wrath as the bowls were poured out on the earth. Brother Andre, can add to that? Uh, we uh, talking about the fall of the uh, world government. Fall of the world government, certainly, absolutely. Ramon, what else has happened leading up to this moment? Oh, well, welcome to the service, by the way. So glad that you're here. Thank you. <laughs> Just, uh, I can't remember that uh, we mentioned uh, about the about the harlot, about about the woman. Well, that uh, got your attention, huh? <laughs> yes. And what did the harlot uh, uh, represent for us? Um, that was chapter eighteen, right? It does. Um, uh, Babylon. Yes, Babylon, the world system, Correct. which also represented something else. What does the nation of Babylon represent? Marquita, you got that? 
um, the word abob abomination of um Babylon of this um deciding um who um if if Babylon um if there was like um abomination of um sin. Well, yeah, certainly Babylon represents sin, but uh, as Andre mentioned earlier, Babylon represents the world system, the world governments, the worldly ways. This is uh, what, So what's happening in chapter 19 is the ultimate victory of heaven over the earth. So, um, so as, as I mentioned before, uh, we, as Christians, we have three enemies in our life. What are they? Three enemies. Andre? One of them is the flesh. The flesh. Satan. The devil. And the world. And the world. We have three enemies. Every one of you is going to have to fight against those three. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Okay, so what we saw in chapter 19 is the final victory over one of those three. It was the defeat of the world. The world as it stands against God. The world is not a nice place for God as it is now. You know what happened when God sent his son to the world? The world rejected him and put him on the cross. And so now God has to have his final battle against the world. This happens where? Yes. Jerusalem. Out, just outside of Jerusalem in a place called Megiddo, uh, or we, as we know it in, uh, in modern language, Armageddon. So it's an actual physical place. It doesn't just describe a battle. It doesn't, it's not just a Hollywood movie. Uh, it is a, a real place and a real battle that will be taking place. But how does this battle go down? We, we read about that in chapter 19. Andre? I'm going to try to explain it. All right, bring it. So all the uh, world armies are going to be located at this one, uh, this one place, and then they're going to see Jesus coming. Okay, but before we said that, why are all the world's armies gathered in this one place? Oh, because they're going to be against the Jews. Against they, the Jews, and why are they so mad at the Jews? Because they're not going to accept the world system. That's right, so during it. this entire time, seven years of tribulation under the power of the Antichrist and under his influence, uh, they are going to be the resistors, the one state that resists against the government of the Antichrist. And, uh, and so they're all going to array their forces against Israel and against God's people. Amen. And so uh, we talked about it last time, the, the, the battle of Armageddon, as all of the world's forces are gathered together in this valley, preparing to do battle against Jerusalem, when all of a sudden... Jesus is going to appear with, the, with, the, with heaven's army. Jesus shows up. And he shows up riding on a? White horse. On a white horse. That is right. And uh, how long does it take for him to win the battle against every force that the world has to put against him? Dave? In the blink of an eye. <laughs> yeah. It's not much of a battle at all. So every missile is fired, but all of them are plinking off of Jesus like nothing. And he comes and wipes out his enemies in one moment of time. Okay, now, in order to understand what we're going to talk about tonight, we have to understand a couple other things. So, during this time of tribulation, it's going to be the worst time that has ever occurred on planet Earth. 
And we've seen that because of how God is pouring out his wrath. There was the, the seven trumpets. There was the seven uh, seals that were opened. And there was also the seven bowls of God's wrath that were poured out uh, onto the earth. And as a result of that, millions, probably billions of people are going to perish, right? We also know that all of those who have taken the mark of the beast, that all of them, these are those who are affiliated with the Antichrist, all of them will be destroyed as well. So that also could be millions, perhaps billions of people. So we're talking about the population of the earth being decreased significantly during the seven-year period. There will be a whole lot of death. Okay, but what we haven't talked about is those who remain. Girls, I need you to be quiet. You're being too loud. We have not talked about those who are remaining, those who have not died as a result of tribulation, nor have they taken the mark of the beast. There will still be people around in different places. And that's important for us to acknowledge. Now, we don't know exactly how many people will be uh, those who have not taken the mark of the beast and those who have also not died as a result of tribulation. So probably numbers will be small comparatively to the world population, but there still will be many resistors. We'll call them resistors tonight. There are those who have resisted the work of the Antichrist, these are people who were not saved at the beginning of the tribulation, right? Because they didn't get raptured, according to our understanding and our um, uh, revelation of the word of God. We're believing that a, a rapture comes first. Not all Christians agree about that, and that's okay. But uh, people who did not get raptured and people who did not take the mark of the beast, uh, but are still remaining, and also people who have not died as a result of all of this tribulation. So with all of those things in mind, there's only a few survivors left, but they play an important part in what happens next. So let's open up to Revelation chapter 20. So we're, uh, we're finishing up chapter 19. We just saw the beast and all of his armies defeated. By the way, that is the defeat of the second of those three armies, of three enemies. The first enemy destroyed Babylon. The second enemy destroyed is the devil, the Antichrist. All right? And uh, we're going to see a little bit more about that right here. So I need a volunteer to read verses uh, 1 through 3. Who's going to read that for me? Patrick's got it. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to, of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan and bound him a thousand years and cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should receive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. Okay, so this is what is known, according to Bible uh, scholars and people who study the Bible, this is what's known as the millennial period, a time of a thousand years. So uh, I just want you to notice here, first of all, that it is no fight. There is no fight against God, right? When God says to the devil, you have to go down for a thousand years, you, there is no resistance against that. And the reason I mention that is because there are some people, and even some Christians, 
who believe that the devil is an equal and opposite force against God. This comes from the yin and the yang uh, perspective of the world that comes out of Eastern philosophy, that in every force there is an equal and opposite resistance against that force, right? You've seen the, the yin-yang symbol. And uh, some people say, well, uh, you know, it's kind of the, the light side and the dark side, like in Star Wars, you know? And uh, the, the forces must be in balance. And uh, so, so is it like that when it comes to God and the devil? Not even close. Because the devil is a created being. Remember where the devil came from. He was once an angel. He is a fallen angel. And yes, he has power over the world system as it is right now. But his power is nothing compared to the power of God. And so I just mention that here because all that the devil does against us will be rectified in one moment. As this angel comes out from heaven, having a key to a bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, he lays hold of that dragon and casts him into the bottomless pit. There was a seal on him for a thousand years. This is a period known as the millennium. Okay, now there is a lot of argument in Christian uh, circles about this millennial period. So I'll just take a moment to explain the different views of what millennials, uh, of what the millennial views are. So the first one is the post-millennial view. It uh, is probably the most widely held and what uh, I personally believe is happening here. It refers to a literal time of a thousand years that takes place of Jesus' rule on the earth after the tribulation, Okay. So the plain, in other words, the plain reading of Revelation chapter 20. If you read that without any other preconceived ideas or notions, you would come to the conclusion of a post-millennial view of Scripture, which means that after the devil is defeated, Jesus will come, he will take his throne in Jerusalem, and for a thousand years he will be king of the world. We talk a lot about the kingdom of God, right? We are soldiers in his kingdom. We are members of his army. We are members of his body, the kingdom of God. And yes, God's kingdom extends to the earth as it is now. But on that day, according to a post-millennial view, the kingdom of God exists on the earth. That's the post-millennial view. Another view that many people have held to is something called I can't even say it. Ah, millennialism, just the same millennialism with the letter A at the beginning. That's a term that says uh, that basically people believe that all of Revelation is figurative and there's not a definite 1,000-year time period attached. It is, uh, to take this view, you have to believe that Revelation is simply a large allegory. We are not to take it literally in any way. We are not to take the time periods as literal, uh, that this is all abstract and, um, and something that's kind of far out there. So uh, I don't hold to that, although there are some really smart people who do, I must say. So if, uh, I would encourage you to do your own study and come to your own conclusion. There's a, a third view of the millennium that is called premillennialism, which holds that Jesus will return before the thousand years. 
And so this is held by many people as well. Um, and so if we look at Revelation 19, chronologically, before Revelation 20, this seems to me to make the most sense. Um, and so uh, Revelation, this scripture, let's, let's see what life will be like during this thousand-year rule of Jesus Christ. I need somebody to read verses 4 through uh, six. Who's going to read that for me tonight? Teresa. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Hallelujah. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God. Oh, I think we're in the wrong chapter. Chapter 20? <laughs> that, that's also a good one. Chapter 20, okay. verses 4 through 6. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Okay, so there's some stuff here we need to get into. There's some stuff we've got to understand. First of all, let's talk about resurrection. We cannot talk about this thousand-year rule and reign. We cannot talk about new heaven and new earth without understanding the concept of resurrection. Somebody tell me what you believe resurrection means. Andre. When the uh, soul uh, reunites with the body and the uh, body becomes alive again. When the soul reunites with the body and the body becomes alive again. Again, that's pretty good. So if you want to know what resurrection looks like, who can we look to? The only one who's experienced it so far is Jesus. <laughs> he is God. You're right. Ramon? I just want just to, just to, just to bring a comment. Uh, it wasn't just Jesus because the Lazarus also did. Okay, that's a great point. Was the resurrection of Jesus the same as the resurrection of Lazarus? Andre. Uh, no, it wasn't because Lazarus died again. He sure did. Jesus, he didn't, he didn't die again. So the resurrection of Lazarus, for example, and there have been other resurrections of such that have happened in the past. Those resurrections were uh, temporary in nature versus the one that Jesus received, which is permanent in nature. Dave? Also, um Every other resurrection, you had to have some outside force there to raise that person. You That's had right. to have a prophet or you had to have Jesus there. Jesus is the only one that basically rose himself. Yep, he rose by his own power. And that means he has power over death, over life, has taken the keys of death and hell in the grave. We read about that in Revelation. Uh, but here's the problem with, with, uh, with many of um, God's people is that... Uh, there was a report from Time Magazine that said two out of three people 
that believe in resurrection do not expect to have a body after resurrection takes place. So here's how that study goes. Do you believe in resurrection? Yes, I do. Do you believe that you will have a body after the resurrection happens? They say, no, I don't. Two out of three say that. Do you see how crazy that is? Why do two out of three people say that resurrection does not involve getting a new body? Why would you suppose that? Dave? Because of the uh, Hollywood view of what, we're, what life is like in heaven. You know, you're just like this ghost spirit thing. And so you don't, you don't have a physical form. Yeah, so Randy Alcorn has a fancy word for it called Christoplatonism. <laughs> so uh, uh, pl- Platonism is the view that the physical body is evil and that death is actually a good thing because it's setting us free from the bondage of our evil physical mortal selves. Okay, this is, comes out of Greek philosophy. Uh, and some people have taken that point of view into Christianity where the term comes from, Christoplatonism. The view that, uh, that the body is bad and that this disembodied existence somewhere floating from cloud to cloud is a good thing. Uh, and I would say that is so far from the truth. That is so far removed from biblical understanding of eternity. Dave? Um, just to point out the, um, the beginning of Revelation, Jesus is speaking to one of the churches and he said, um, you hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Yep. Well, the view of the Nicolaitans was just that, that, the, that the, the flesh, anything that we do here on earth doesn't matter anyway. And so what that, uh, the way they ended up living resulted in them being just like barbarians. Right, that's right. If we believe in Platonism, if we believe that, uh, that our bodies are superior than our spirits, then uh, it basically leads to a life of uh, lack of inhibition, right? It leads to what I, whatever I do with my body doesn't really matter, okay? So, um, so let's, let's look at this idea of resurrection. I just want to hit this for, for about five minutes here because this is important. I need some scriptures, so I need volunteers to read scriptures tonight. Who's going to do that? Noel's going to read uh, a Luke 24, 39. Um, Amanda is going to read John 21, verses 4 and then 12. And I need one more. Uh, Caitlin's going to read 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 44. So again, uh, when we talk about resurrection, it is a subject that is difficult for us to talk about because... We've never seen one. The only resurrection that we know of is, is Jesus, okay? And so uh, if the Bible talks about resurrection, we have to have some idea of what that means. And so that's what I want to do now. The only example that we have of, uh, of true permanent style resurrection is that of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let's see what the Bible says about this resurrected Jesus. So Luke 24, verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones, as ye see me have. Was this before or after Jesus died? After. So this is the, the, the account of doubting Thomas, right? And Thomas says, I'm not going to believe until I see with my eyes. And then Jesus shows up and says, Thomas, come here. I need to teach you something. He took his hand and he put it right there where the wound was in his side. So 
was there any doubt at that moment that Jesus was alive again? It said that he had prints in his hands and his feet. He still had the wounds in his hands and in his side. He says, touch me, feel me, see, am I a ghost? And obviously he made the point to them he was not a ghost. He had flesh and he had bone. He was not some floating apparition. He was not a phantom. He was not a figment of their imaginations. He was a real, resurrected, physical body. Andre. But he had the physical body, but he was able to appear in the midst of them without walking through the door. I'm getting to that. (laughs) John chapter 21, verse 4. And then verse 12. But when the morning had come now, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Okay, so from that we see that he's not hovering. He's not floating. He's not in a cloud. He's just standing there on the beach, just like a normal person would. Okay, resurrected body, standing on the shore. Verse 12, one of my favorite scriptures. Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Oh, come on, somebody. Yet none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord. Okay, so ghosts don't eat breakfast. But resurrected saviors do. Okay, the resurrected body of Jesus Christ was still able to masticulate. Look that one up. (laughs) That means to chew food, to process, to digest. Uh, a, A resurrected body is able to do the same things that you and I are familiar with. The reason I'm saying that is don't get this idea that your resurrected body is going to be completely different from your existing body. Okay, but in what ways? So we've seen the ways that the body is the same, but in what ways is the body different after resurrection? 1 Corinthians, did I ask for this one? I think I did. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 42 through 44. It is the same way with the resurrection of the dead. Our earthly bodies are planted in the ground when we die, but they will be raised to live forever. Our bodies are buried in brokenness, but they will be raised in glory. They are buried in weakness, but they will be raised in strength. They are buried as natural human bodies, but they will be raised as spiritual bodies. For just as there are natural bodies, there are also spiritual bodies. All right, this is the part where you should be getting really excited. How many ever wake up feeling worse than when you went to bed? Sign of old age. (laughs) Sign of a perishable body. (laughs) How many uh, uh, try to do something that you used to do 10 years ago and figure out you can't do it anymore? (laughs) Uh, how many I remember the day very clearly I think I was about 16 years old when for the first time I took my dad on one to one on the basketball court and I beat him and I watched the man have a meltdown he said I'm I'm not young enough to beat my son in a basketball one-on-one anymore so that is the definition of growing old isn't it Why do we grow old? Was it part of God's original design? It was not. God intended for Adam and Eve to exist eternally. He created them with perfect bodies. It is only because of sin that we get sick, we get pain, we have death, 
It is only because of sin. And so uh, I'm mentioning this now because that, that resurrected body that has been promised to us is a body that will last forever. Somebody better say amen. I'll say it myself. <laughs> I'm excited about a new body because I have trouble with this one. So that body that we will, that we will receive, it's not, uh, it's not quite the same as caterpillar to butterfly because that's a metamorphosis that is a completely different change in, uh, in form and in function. So our, I believe our eternal bodies, just like Jesus, they recognized him. They could tell it was him. He still had two arms and two legs and two eyes and two nose holes. He still had all the same features. He still had the same organs. But this resurrected body will not die, will not wear out. That is a good thing to think about. And that is what we see in this chapter. Did you see that? It said in verse 4, verse 4, I saw those, the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness. Now, this is speaking specifically about the martyrs that have died during the time of tribulation. They had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived... And they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. They lived and they reigned with Christ for a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Okay? So at that moment, when Jesus takes his throne, that will be the time that, any, that other people besides Jesus are going to experience this resurrection. Okay? Now, there might be some question. The Bible's very specific there. It's talking about the martyrs who have died. Uh, but, uh, but I believe it's more than just the martyrs. It's also those who have come riding on the white horse with him in this final battle. So we receive our new bodies to do battle alongside of Christ. And these new bodies are intended to give us eternal life. And that is a very, very amazing thing to think about. All right, so now, it says that we, uh, the people of God, we shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. I want to flesh that out a little bit. What does that mean to you? To rule and to reign with Christ for a thousand years. Donald. We need you on the record. We're recording this for posterity. This is Donald Smith. <laughs> um, yes. Rule with God. Rule with Christ the King. You be ready. You be ready. It'd be a beautiful thing. You'll see. Okay. Yeah, I promise you. So my question is this. Who are we ruling over? Who are we reigning over? Yes, Pam. Sorry? I think it means to be partial to obey his commandments that we know to do and obey, that we know what is right in our hearts. Mm -hmm. We're 
Absolutely. So we get a little preview of that even today, don't we? To rule and to reign with Christ. Remember the Lord's Prayer when it says, let your kingdom come and let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In the future, uh, we won't have to pray like that anymore because the kingdom of God will literally be on the earth. Okay, but until then, you're right, Pam, that we, uh, we can learn today to be obedient to Christ before the earth is actually, uh, the kingdom of God is established on the earth. Alonzo's going to add to that. Uh, I was thinking that um, even, uh, it's going to be some that last through the tribulation mm-hmm. and, and through it all, when, when Jesus comes back, they're still going to be here on the earth. That's right. And those would be the ones, maybe possible, that would be reigning over. That's right. So um, who, who does that include? We talked about them at the beginning. It's those who have uh, not died during the tribulation, those who have not taken the mark of the beast, and those who were not Christians at the beginning of all of this book of Revelation stuff. So, um, so because they had not been raptured. So that's very few people. But the biggest group of them is who? The Jews. Remember, there's still a whole nation there. And probably... Uh, other people have gathered into the nation of Israel to find safe harbor during this terrible period of history on the earth. Dave. Is this, uh, is this what Jesus is talking about when he says a lot of people are going to come from the east and the west and they're going uh, to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and rule? Over, and, and I think he even says that, you know, don't you know that you're going to judge the tribes of Israel? Exactly right. We will judge the tribes of Israel. This is, it literally comes to pass. So remember that the, the people of God, those believers who have come riding along with Jesus, uh, what kind of bodies do we have at that point? Resurrected bodies, physical bodies on a physical earth. And do those bodies wear out? In a thousand years of ruling and reigning with Christ, will you ever have to get a checkup? Oh, thank God. You, are you... Are, are you ever going to have to have an operation or surgery? Are you ever going to have wisdom teeth grown out the wrong place? No, you are going to have a resurrected body designed to last forever. But listen, not everybody on the earth will. It is the Jews and those hangers-on, those survivors who still have Uh, bodies that are mortal okay and so there will be a division of the world at that time and those are the people that we are called to rule and reign over they're not evil people right they're they're the the people of israel who when jesus came riding on the white horse they all turned their eyes and saw him coming down from the clouds and they said oh it's the messiah obviously they believed in him he protected them he received them as savior but they have not receive an everlasting body like like the church has at that moment okay everybody with me so far questions about that so um let's think about generations so uh if we think back a thousand years from today was the year 1019 (laughs) that was kind of a long time ago that was you know uh that was what what would you say 440 I forget how you, how you do the division, but uh, 
you know, a generation is, is about 40 years long, so uh, do the math. What's 1,000 divided by 40? Two. Public math is dangerous. But how, how it, however many generations have taken place between 1,019 and 2,019, that's how many generations are going to be passing for those Jews that were still on the earth, right? And this is why it's going to be important that the world has rulers to watch over it, to execute the kingdom of God. So just like there's worldly nations and rulers today, there will be nations. Nations are going to survive into this millennial period. There will still be, uh, there will still be Spain. There will still be uh, Europe. There will still be, um, you know, people will still have their nationalities. But the difference is that there will be these eternals versus the mortals. So the eternals that are ruling and reigning with Christ, and who are we ruling and reigning over? It is those who, uh, who were there on the earth uh, when we came back. Yes, Dave. So basically the, uh, the eternals, as you called them, um, since their bodies have been raised incorruptible, they, they, they can't have kids or anything anymore. That's but, true. But the mortals can. That's right. So That's what I'm trying to... they're going to be populating the earth. They're going to continue to populate the earth. And probably uh, it will be faster than at any time in human history. Because, remember, just because this resurrection has taken place does not erase human history. It does not erase technology. So, especially the Jews, right? Man, they are advanced. They're right up there alongside America right now as technological innovators. And that means that... Uh, that they'll begin to reform the world, won't they? And especially under an, a government that is authored by Jesus himself. He's going to put the policies into place that we wish that we had right now, right? It's going to be pro-family. <laughs> it's going to be pro-babies. It's going to be technology. We're going to see what this human race can do. And it's going to be incredible. It's going to be a wonderful time of human history. Wonderful time, because it will be God's kingdom on the earth. But does it mean that everyone will believe? Sure doesn't. So we know that those of us who have been sealed, those of us who came riding with Christ, those of us who have already experienced resurrection by this time, that we are eternally sealed with God, but not everyone on the earth is. And we know that because of what we read next. Chapter 20, verse 7. Now, when the thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together in battle, whose number is as the sand of the sea. They went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city and fire. Well, let's, before the fire falls down, let's just consider that for a moment. Satan is released for one final battle. So, um, why? Yes. So during a thousand years, it's going to be peace because Satan is going to be bound. That's right. He has no authority on the earth any longer. It will be a wonderful time to be a human being. Under the rule and reign of Jesus, that rule and reign is executed by his church. For those of us who've received resurrection, we will not age, we will not grow old. But 
Meanwhile, we'll be ruling over another class of people, of mortal people who are still experiencing birth and death and growth, and the population of the world will explode at that time. Okay? We could, we could have seen more people at that time in those thousand years than, uh, than we do today. Who knows? There could be about 15 billion or 20 billion people. In a thousand years, human society can grow, especially under a government of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. But what I'm saying to you is that all of those, however many people are, uh, are born during that time, however large the world population gets, not everyone will believe in Christ. And we know that because that is human beings. God creates us with a sense of will, with a decision to re- either receive Him or reject Him. And you say, Pastor, how could it be possible that there could be people living under the authority of Jesus on the earth, that they'd be able to see him with their eyes, ruling from Jerusalem, and all of his resurrected servants around the world executing his commands, and still not believe in him. Well, we know that it's true, because there will will still be some people who refuse to serve the Lord Jesus Christ who refuse, because that's exactly what we do today. Andre? A good example was that when Jesus came the first time, when he performed those miracles in, in his own um, city. That's right. And they didn't believe him. Oh, that's Joseph's son. They sure did. Alonzo? <coughs> Would it be because of... Yeah. Would it be because of um, the, was it the curse that every child born from a woman born into sin and they still be on the earth at the time that's right that's exactly right so the curse has not been removed from those from that population the curse had been removed from the church the ones who came back uh, with Christ because we have a new body that's no longer infected by the curse of sin but that group of people will still be affected by sin yes Donald pass out pass out who's Jesus the Son of God. <laughs> uh, look, Say it again. It's the Son of God. There you go. Amen. I'm glad I got it right. <laughs> um, so, now, uh, at the end of this thousand-year reign, this thousand incredible years of human history taking place on the earth, population growth, uh, perfect government, peace, no more wars, uh, it's going to be an amazing time. It's a unique time of human history. And after this thousand years, the Bible tells us that Satan will be released from the prison that he's held in uh, to deceive the nations once again. Now, we don't get a lot of details about this. We just know that it happens, and we know that he is going to lead many in his last push to hurt the kingdom of God, and he's going to deceive many. You know why? Because that's what he's really good at. Why is the devil, why, why do you suppose that, uh, to, to help you think about this, why does the devil want to do this one last time when he knows what's about, I mean, the devil is familiar with this scripture, he's read this millions of times, but why does he go to deceive the nations once again, Donald? I think the devil is trying to destroy mankind. Of course. That's why? Why is the devil trying to destroy man? He can't destroy the resurrected ones. Nope. We've already been sealed up with Christ. 
But there are those on the earth who are being deceived. Why does he desire to do this? Yes. I'm wondering, well, you know what they say, misery loves company. (laughs) True, true. Uh, But there's a bigger reason. Yes. Uh, Because he can't stand the fact that uh, God gets the worship. God, he's worshiped. He want to be worshiped like God. Absolutely. Well, that goes back to his original motivation. He wanted the job of God, and the job was not available. And so that's why he experienced um, eviction from heaven. Dave? I was going to say, even though he knows the word of God probably better than any of us. That's right. So he knows that scripture really well, and he's so arrogant that he just says, yeah, but but that one's not true. That scripture right there, I'm going to show that I can, I'm going to disprove that. Okay, yeah. We haven't gotten to the, the main reason, though. And I think it's this. It comes down to his hatred, how much he despises God. He despises the authority of God and especially the authority of Jesus on the earth. Whenever he looks at Jesus, do you know what he says to himself? That used to be my kingdom. That used to be the place that I had authority. And now Jesus is ruling it so perfectly. Who does he think he is? Watch what I do now. And in one last battle, he goes and he takes those, uh, those who um, do not believe in Christ. He's going to deceive them one last time because this is who he was from the beginning. He was a deceiver. He was an accuser. The devil can't hurt God, can he? Can't hurt Jesus. He did, did his best on the cross, but that, that didn't work out for him very well. He certainly can't hurt those of us who've been resurrected at that time because we have already achieved eternal life. Not achieved, we've received eternal life through Christ. But who can he affect still? He can still affect people. People who are made in God's image, and there is nothing that hurts God more than when you hurt his people made in his image. It's the same reason why he still hates your guts today. It's the same reason why the devil still messes with your head to this day. Because he hates God and you are made in his image. It's the only way that the devil can get leverage against God. He says, I'm going to get one last shot at this God. I'm going to do it by destroying those people who don't believe in him. And that's what he does. All right? This is obviously a a battle that is not going to end well for him. But it will end well for everyone else. Because listen what happens. Uh, Where were we? Verse 10. The devil who deceived them was cast into... I think I missed one. A fire came down. Where was that? Verse 9. They went up on the breadth of the earth... Yeah, on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. The devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And, oh, you better catch this. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. You know what that ought to do? 
That ought to get you excited about telling somebody about Jesus. Tormented day and night, forever and ever. That ought to cause you to weep. Weep with compassion for people who don't know Jesus. Because they will be suffering right alongside the likes of Satan himself. Day and night, forever and ever. Okay. On that happy note, any questions or comments? Uh, What's your name? (laughs) Pastor Simon's done a great job. You're a good teacher. There are a lot of faithful Christians. I want to say, uh, I have something for everybody come Thanksgiving. All the children of God. Amen. Thank you for that, Donald. Yes, Andre. Oh, uh, back to that note when you were talking about why Satan hate um, God so much. Yes. I was just thinking, you know, um, probably thinking like why he wasn't made in God's image. Mm-hmm. God chose to make a people in his image. That's true. To fellowship with man. He's jealous. God, right. And He's he, jealous. <coughs> He's envious. Yes. Gabby. I actually have a question. Bring it. So I was confused when you were talking about how Satan said how he was he was jealous, right, of God. He said that you said what that um that should be me getting worshipped or mm-hmm. yeah, you said that. And you said that that should me that should be me and that should be my place. Mm-hmm. So what I'm confused like. So Satan, like, because I know Satan was was an angel, yep. and he's like a fallen angel. So why is he saying that he should be worshipped and not God? Because that's the exact position he currently holds. From the garden. What happened in the garden is that he deceived Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, they were designed to be king of the world. Made in God's image made to execute his commandments across the whole world. The the Adam and Eve, made in God's image, they were supposed to be the ones to exercise dominion over his creation. But when they sinned, they abdicated the throne. They said, we're not going to be in charge anymore, and guess who gets to fill that position now? The devil does, because he's the one who deceived them. So for the last... How many thousands of years of world history that we have experienced on this earth, we've experienced it under a curse. All of the life, all of the life that you've led has been a life that is under a curse. Curse of sin and also the curse of being led by the devil. The devil has set up this world against God's kingdom. And so when he when he's in the bottomless pit. And he's looking up back at the earth and he sees Jesus on the throne for a thousand years and all of his people doing wonderful works for the the kingdom of God on the earth. He says, who does that Jesus think he is anyway? He's not even doing anything right. I was way better than him. You see what I'm saying? Absolutely. In, In the devil's mind, he has no reason why he shouldn't be God. I'm way better at this than God is, a sappy old guy. You know, uh, in his mind, the devil believes that he deserves the throne. Otherwise, he wouldn't have done what he did. Okay, Marquita? Um, basically, um, I, I kind of go through a lot with humility 
and um, stressing a lot of people, cussing at me and stuff. I just wonder, like, as far as for living for God, if is there like challenges that I go through? Um, basically, um, when people turn away from me or put lies on me because it's I dealt with a whole lot. And when I talk to Angela Settles, I get lies. And I, I don't know if that's because I'm suffering or living for God because I, I noticed that people around me, I'm not saying anything to them, but it's like I'm drawing with humility just just because of it and lies come upon okay, me. This, this sounds like a great question that you can bring to me after the service is over. Um, but I, I can tell you this, that all of life that we experience right now, Marquita, is life under a curse. You experience life under a curse of sin, under the control of the enemy, and we have no idea how wonderful our lives will be as we rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. I just want you to consider that for a moment as we pause here, for, and then we're, we're going to take these last five to ten minutes and talk about the great white throne judgment. Um, the, to rule and to reign with Christ. To rule and to reign with Christ. What does that mean to you? Andre. I guess it means like um, you can go back to the garden. Yep. Where um, like you just was talking about how everything was under Adam and Eve's control until they sinned. So at this point, um, <clears throat> for those who are resurrected with their new body, sin would not be present in their lives and it would, won't be present around them. That's right. So they would have that type of um, rule and reign and they'll be actually with Christ. Have you ever seen um, or read the book, The Chronicles of Narnia? Or the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe? At the end of that story, there's an amazing scene. So if you're not familiar with the story, it's, uh, it's four children, brothers and sisters, that come into this, uh, this land, this fairy tale land called Narnia. And it is ruled by the lion, the great lion called Aslan. And this is an allegory uh, by C.S. Lewis. It's a beautiful a picture of the gospel. And um, so basically the purpose of the whole book is to illustrate the sacrifice that Christ made when Aslan lays down his life to save the wayward son uh, of the four, Edward. And, uh, but at the end of the story, there's an incredible scene. Maybe you'll remember it. Where the children, basically they have stumbled into this not knowing what they're getting into, right? The way that they found this place was little, little Lucy uh, backs into the wardrobe and finds herself in this amazing new kingdom. It wasn't that she did anything to earn it, right? They just found themselves there, wandering around, trying to figure out what's going on. They find themselves in the midst of an epic battle, right, between Aslan and between uh, the White Queen. And, uh, and so then they, uh, he, he gifts them, he grants them certain abilities and gifts to be able to use in battle. And you see a great battle scene toward the end where they're fighting alongside Aslan to defeat the forces of the Wicked Queen, right? And at the end, do you remember the scene? When he lines them up, and he, he gives them new names. And I'm not going to remember what those names are, but they were amazing. Does anybody, any nerds here, 
can remember. What? <laughs> he gave them incredible names. Do you remember? Anybody remember what they were? She does. <laughs> we'll give Noel a chance first. Um, let's see. Lucy was Lucy the Valiant. Uh, Edmund was Edmund the Just. The Just. He was the one who betrayed them all, by the way. Um, let's see. Let Caitlin figure out the rest. I believe Susan was the wise. The wise. And then it was great. Peter. Peter the great. The great. Yeah. That's right. Okay, so that is a picture of us. It's like we've stumbled our way into the kingdom of God. We don't know how, really how we even got here. We found ourselves part of this epic battle between heaven and hell. And at the end of it all, there's a battle that Jesus wins in a second, and then he enthrones us. And we find ourselves rulers. We find ourselves reigning over the world, and he gives them, in the story, he gives them crowns, he gives them royal robes, he gives them swords and gifts and thrones, and he leaves them there in Narnia to exercise dominion over the kingdom, right? That's exactly a perfect picture of how Jesus is going to give us the authority over the world and expect us to take good care of things. Dave? By the way, the lion destroys the white witch like in the blink of an eye. Yep. Also. He just... Without any trouble. <laughs> so I just wanted to give you this idea in your head. It pleases God to give dominion to us, his people. That is the pattern going all the way back to the garden. God created this marvelous universe, a universe that we still have yet to understand. When you look into a telescope or you look into a microscope, your mind will be blown by what you find. Yes? And in a thousand years ruling and reigning with Christ, it pleases God to delegate His authority to you and I, his people. Why am I saying this? Because you can start that right now. You don't have to wait for this thousand-year rule and reign with Christ. You can have dominion today. You can have dominion over your sin. You can have dominion over your emotions. You can have dominion over your finances. You know why? Because God has delegated that authority to you. How many times... Do we pray, God, please help me. God, please do something. I'm waiting for you. And God's up in heaven saying, why don't you do something? I'm waiting for you. Because he has given us the authority. He's put it in our hands. Now, obviously, we have a lot to fight against still in this world. We have our flesh. We have the world. We have the enemy whose strategy is against us. So on that day, we won't have those three enemies against us. But on this day, you can begin to practice for your rule and your reign. Questions or comments? Yes. I have a question. So when the Bible tells us about uh, bear your treasures in heaven, right? Yes. And uh, you're going to re reap reward. Yes. On your works that you do here, reward. Absolutely. Is it going to be in that, uh, that thousand year king, that reign? I think that's part of it. I think that, uh, that God is going to give greater positions of greater authority to people who uh, exercise that dominion here on the earth, right? 
And I think we're going to be very surprised when we get there who's going to be in charge. That guy's in charge? Are you kidding me? He's in charge of Madrid? You've got to be kidding me. He was just a janitor back on the old earth, right? Uh, but God, it's going to please God, and God is perfect at delegating the right authority to the right people. You're going to have the right people to rule over, and it's, it's an incredible thing about it. Yes? Oh, I'm just, my uh, thoughts are just expanding. Okay. Like, yeah, so I was just uh, restricted. I was, like, thinking just about in Jerusalem. Right. This is worldwide. This is worldwide. Yeah, like, all across the, the world. The center of authority definitely is in Jerusalem. But we have not yet reached the best part. So at this moment that we're talking about now, the thousand years of rule and reign, the only thing that has experienced resurrection is Jesus and all of the Jesus people. Nothing else has received resurrection. But what we're going to read about in the next chapter is the resurrection of all things. Now that's where it starts to get really interesting. Yes, Caitlin. But will so, so it won't be just limited to ruling things on earth. Will it be universal? As far as the curse is found. How far did the curse from the garden, how far did it spread? It's all-encompassing, right? It covers all of creation. The curse that started in the garden spread to every mankind, every man, woman, boy, and girl. And it also extended to the earth, to the creation, right? That's why in the curse that God put on the earth, he included that line about the thorns and the thistles, that the world around us is cursed. The animal kingdom is cursed. And uh, that's the reason why there's death even in the animal kingdom, right? And so that curse, I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves here, But when resurrection takes place, that is the curse that will be removed off of creation. And that indeed does extend to every corner of the universe. So maybe there's going to be um, a section of the the Jesus government that will be for world exploration. (laughs) Going from one galaxy to the next like Star Trek. I want to be on that team, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> okay, Gabby? So did the curse make everything vicious, like the animal kingdom? Absolutely. So if, like, the curse had never come, would, like, lions be all cuddly and warm? Actually, there's a scripture about that. Dave? They're all cuddly and warm now. <laughs> Just don't get really close. Okay. <laughs> So the Bible says that before there was sin, there was no death. That means, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> before the sin, there was no death. That means that lions did not kill for food. Okay? That's, that's a result of sin. The reason that uh, animals kill other animals is because of human sin. All suffering, all death is a result of human sin. And in that day, that day that we're fast-forwarding to here, that sin will be removed. That means death will be removed. That means lions are going to have to have a new diet. Yes, Martina. We've got to wrap this thing up.
especially when um people are um struggling with sin in their life and it's through generation curses is there a possibility that through generation curses that people who are doing right by God can come out of the curse? Yes, absolutely. So God has given us authority over curses right now, right? Not complete, uh, not complete victory, but the battle has already been won at the cross. The blood of Jesus breaks the power of curses, Marquita. The blood of Jesus breaks every curse, okay? But that does not mean the final battle has been won yet. So uh, on, on that day, the ultimate curse will be lifted. We're talking about the day of resurrection, ultimate resurrection. Okay, so let me just read this last part of chapter 20 so that we can start fresh, chapter 21, next week. Then I saw, this is verse 11, I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away. Remember, this is after the thousand years. This is after the enemy has finally been defeated, thrown into uh, the lake of fire and brimstone. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. There was, no, no, there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. How many people is that? That's every person who has ever lived. Okay? I saw the dead, small and great, except who does it not include? It does not include the resurrected saints. Okay? It doesn't include... So we've already... Uh, we, what we believe is that the believers already face a judgment, a judgment of works when we die. Okay? That speaks about that in, in one of the gospel accounts. It speaks about how we will face a judgment for what we've done with our lives for God. And God will hold us accountable and he will give us rewards or punishments based on our lives here on earth. So we've already faced a judgment. This great white throne judgment includes everybody else. Everybody, everybody clear on that? The great white throne. I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. Books were open. Listen, God keeps books. He's watching you. He's watching me. Books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. Look, you don't want this to happen to you. If God judges you based on the things that you've done, you're going to be in big trouble. The dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. They were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So this is a resurrection of sorts. And I believe it's in Thessalonians where it speaks about the resurrection of the unrighteous. And maybe somebody can find that scripture while we're closing this up. It's a, it's a resurrection of the unrighteous. And that's what this is. So all of those who have died in previous generations going all the way back to the garden, those 
uh, unrepentant souls, those who have committed the ultimate sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, have resisted God till the end, they're going to get a taste of resurrection because they will receive a physical body for the one purpose of standing before God. Can you imagine? And for a moment, they'll be able to feel their hands and their faces, and they'll be able to sense physical things again, and they will be reunited together with their body for the purpose of judgment. And when they receive that body, and they are judged in their sins according to their works, they will be cast into the lake of fire. (laughs) I'm not excited about that. It doesn't please God to torment people. But this is what they have chosen. This is what people choose when they choose to disobey God. Hell is a prison that is locked on the inside. It is a place that, unfortunately, people that we love and care about, that they will choose to disobey God. They would rather burn and be tormented for all eternity than serve God. That's the reality of it. And that ought to make you weep because it makes God weep. God has made a way out of this. And that's why the church is here. The church exists to be the voice of God on the earth, pleading with people that are around us every day. Don't choose this. God has a better option for us. Yes, Pam. We're all here for a reason. That's right. Absolutely. This is, why, this is why we believe in Christian parenting. There is nothing more painful to my mind than the thought of one of my children experiencing that. This is why we train up our children to serve God and love Him. Because we don't want them to be there. We want them to serve the Lord and experience resurrection right along with us, right? This is why we go on outreach. Because there's a whole world around us that needs the message that we have. So, any other questions quickly before we close? Amen. Next week, whoo, telling you, it gets so good. The new heaven and the new earth. So, let's close in prayer tonight. Let's bow our heads for just a moment as we invite God's presence. And as the Lord is dealing with us, we have an opportunity tonight, right now, to surrender our hearts to be counted among the beloved, to be counted among the bride of Christ, to be counted as part of His army that one day will come riding along with Him as He descends from heaven back to the earth. See, heaven is not some cloudy, ethereal, abstract experience. No, heaven, as we've seen in this chapter, is literally a government of the Lord, by the Lord, and for the Lord on the earth. It's a kingdom. The only way to be part of that kingdom tonight is to be born again. Jesus said that unless a man is born again, he will not even see the kingdom of God. So that's what I'm asking tonight. Have you been born again? Have you been changed? Have you been transformed? Has your life been changed 
That's the mark of a born-again believer. Your life has been changed. Your habits have been changed. Your thoughts have been changed. Are you perfect? Have you sprouted wings? No. But those who are born again, they have a new life, new desires, new hopes, new dreams. And so don't tell me tonight that you love Jesus and your life's not changed because maybe you haven't been born again. It's possible to have lots of religious experiences and still not be born again. This born-again experience is one that God provides for us when we simply receive Christ as our Savior. We surrender to Him and make Him our Lord. And when we do, God provides this glorious salvation. The day that you get saved is your first day of your eternal life that will continue on forever in God's presence. Whether it is in the temporary holding place as it is now, or whether it is in the thousand-year millennial rule and reign of Christ, or whether beyond that it is the new heaven and the new earth, we will be with Christ and we will live for Christ. But I'm asking tonight, is that you? Before we do anything else, you say, Pastor, I'm here and I need the Lord. I need to repent of my sins. I don't want to be the one cast into the lake of fire right alongside the devil in all of his forces. I don't want to be that. I want to surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ before it's too late. If that's you, would you slip up your hand? Is there anyone here? Quickly. Thank you for that hand. Someone else, quickly. God's being honest. You're being honest with God tonight. You say, I'm backslidden. I'm far from the Lord, and I want to get it right tonight. Is that you? Let me pray with you tonight. You lift up your hand. I want to see it. Thank you. Thank you tonight. Thank you. We thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website, vvph.org, and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.